When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Falcons fall in Kalamazoo and look forward to a Saturday date with the Akron Zips. We'll talk about it on this edition of the Ziggy Cast. This is the BGSU Ziggy Cast from Learfield. Your home for Falcons updates, interviews, previews, and highlights. Now, here is your host, Todd Walker. We appreciate you tuning in for another edition of the Ziggy Cast. My name is Todd Walker. Glad to be with you as we talk BGSU football. Falcons dropped to 2-6 and six with a 49-10 loss at Western Michigan this past Saturday. This week, it's the final Saturday game of the season as the Falcons host Akron. We'll talk about all of that. Coming up, we'll relive the very few highlights of Saturday's game. We'll also hear the post-game comments of Coach Scott Leffler. My broadcast partner, John Gibson, will join me. We'll get his thoughts on the game from last Saturday and looking ahead. And we'll also visit with Steve French. He is the voice of the Akron Zips. Get the lowdown on what's happening with that program, a program that's very much in the same spot as BGSU, that is rebuilding. Falcons went up to Kalamazoo this past Saturday to take on a Western Michigan team that had been somewhat underachieving and it BG came up short, losing 49-10. However, the Falcons played pretty well the first quarter and a half, including their second drive of the game when they put together a long field goal drive. BG used a play action and short passing on a 15-play 68-yard drive that stalled in the red zone. Nate Needham's 31-yard field goal made it 3-0 Bowling Green. But the Broncos would answer early in the second quarter, Right after that BG drive, they went on an almost six-minute drive to take a 7-3 lead. And then late in the second quarter with the game still 7-3, Grant Loy threw an interception that set the Broncos up in good field position. A 59-yard TD drive made it 14-3. And then the Falcons were unable to generate a first down, punted it back to the Broncos, and they went seven plays 65 yards before halftime to make it 21-3. They got the kickoff to begin the second half, and on the second play from scrimmage, Levante Bellamy bolted 75 yards to make it 28-3. to 
and that was pretty well that. However, Bowling Green did briefly fight back to somewhat get back in the game. After a nine-yard run by Grant Loy, the Falcons faced a third and one when things would finally come together for the only touchdown drive of the game. Now Loy in the gun, fakes the jet sweep to Denley, keeps it himself, and has a first down and more. Grant Loy could take it home. The safety trying to get him at the 20, gets on his back and brings him down at the 12. Grant Loy with a monster run there of 59 yards. A.J. Thomas saved the touchdown of Bowling Green in the red zone. And that's what, that's what Grant Loy brings you. You know, you wish you could have saw more of this in the first half. Great blocking there from Kramer pulling and Doris pulling, and there was no safety there over. Thomas did a good job getting over. Now Denley running right side. He'll be inside the 10. They officially give Loy a 58-yard run to the 13-yard line. 28-3, the Western Michigan lead with the Falcons in the red zone. They had to settle for a field goal earlier today. This ball at the nine. Loy under center, straight handoff. Denley bounces left, back to his right for the goal line. Touchdown, BGSU. Bryson Denley zigging and zagging and reaching and scoring. And Bowling Green has its first touchdown of the day. It's 28-9, Western Michigan. Unfortunately, that is the extent of the highlights for Bowling Green from a 49-10 loss Saturday at Western Michigan. The Broncos were able to run the ball at will, gaining 399 yards rushing and 574 total yards to Bowling Green's 266. Falcon defense had only two negative plays all day, two tackles for loss. Meanwhile, BG quarterback Grant Loy was sacked three times and picked off twice. After the game, head coach Scott Leffler met with the media. First half was on the field a lot. Um, offense was having some short drives. Do you think there towards the, end of the first half, maybe they were just getting worn down because it kind of led to a couple quick hitters by? A yeah, I thought uh, in the first half overall, I thought uh, both sides of the ball were playing as good as they could play. And uh, the mistake that I made is um, two, three years from now. When it's, a, when it's a minute 19 and we got the ball, and I know they're getting the ball, I'm going to go try to score. But the smartest thing that we could have done there was uh, to run the clock out, get to half, 14-3, regroup, and go. And uh, there was a that was a mistake by myself. There's no doubt about it. And uh, then it spiraled. And then the bigger, stronger, faster, and then it just made us live. You know, in the second round. So... Um, but that's, that was the mistake we should have done. We, uh, it was 14-3. Um, we had a, an opportunity on a, on a play-action pass. The backside corner did a great job uh, for them. They pick off the ball. We get the ball with a minute 19, I believe, left. Um, just like I said, two to three years from now, we're going to go score every time. I mean, that's the mindset you have to, especially whenever you know that they're getting the ball in the second half. But the team we are right now, we should have ran the clock out, get to half, regroup, 14-3. So that's 100% my responsibility. And, and going back, I would, that won't happen again. Just knowing, knowing who we are right now. But again, we got worn out. You know, we were one. They're bigger, stronger, faster than us right now. Um, just like I said at the beginning, that might be. Arguably the most talented or second most talented team in this league. I think you called it last week the uh, the daily double turnovers, big plays. I seen that. Yeah. They had two 40 plus kickoffs turned into touchdowns, yep. two picks turned into touchdowns, yep. a handful of big runs. Yeah. Is that simple as that when you look at that today? Absolutely. Yeah. Turnover battle and explosion plays that'll that'll never uh, never change. And uh, we gave up. The thing just 
de defensively that was disappointing because we had the explosion runs. They were running one one run play. It was all the uh, inside zone play, inside zone crunch play, and um, we couldn't get off the field on third down. What's disappointing is whenever you're third and twelve, third and ten, uh, third and fourteen, those are the third downs that you look at and you go because you know, percentage wise, you know, you're anywhere between eighteen and twenty five percent conversion rate. Mm -hmm. And you know, third and ones, third and threes, it's hard to get off the field, but the, the disappointing ones are those third and ones. We didn't tackle well on third down. Um, and uh, yeah, but to answer your question, it's uh, situational football explosion plays, turnovers, and it'll never change. It's beginning of time. You mentioned getting off the field on third down. They had that fourth and two, up seven to three there. I think it was the second quarter. Mm -hmm. And then for them to break loose, really untouched, score everything. How much did that one hurt and kind of change how the game was flowing for you guys? Yeah, that, that, without a doubt. You know, fourth and two, you know, you want to, they're going to get it. Line up and play again. You know, we didn't get a place, give ourselves a, a place to play again. Uh, so that was disappointing. And uh, but, you know, I, I, the thing that I'm focused on right now is what I could have controlled. And uh, to help our football team today before half, I didn't. And that's, you know, I always look at myself first. And um, you know, where we're at right now as a team, and you know, and, and as an offensive coach, you got to go. Hey, we're going to go and score. I get all that. But just where we're at right now, should have ran the clock out, played conservative, come back in here, regroup, be 14-3, get a stop, see what happens. So uh, um, you got to know who your football team is. And at that point, I was greedy um, and not uh, not following the, the model of who we are right now. So that was my fault completely. Um, Lou Holtz used to say the most important 10 minutes for five minutes before and after halftime. How much did that just, just change what – what the game was from that point until after, until you guys got the ball for the first time in the second half. Yeah, when we got the ball in the, the, the first, we did a great job driving down and getting a great score. And then they, they answered back immediately with an explosion play, which, you know, that, that hurt. You know, from that point forward, uh, they wore us down. Uh, they ran the football. We didn't stop the run game very well. We missed a ton of tackles. Um, the explosion play on third down on their sideline. Uh, we had a free hitter. And just didn't make the tackle, so that was disappointing. But um, again, I'm focused on what I could have done as a coach better, and um, you know, I gotta, I gotta help our guys. Um, again, two to three years from now, we're gonna try to score every single time we touch the ball. You gotta know who you are and, and where we're at right now. So that was my fault. Um, no Davon today. Do you expect to have him at all for us? I hope they goodness me. I mean, we're down a lot of backs right now. We're the thinnest thing can be. And uh, I might be running the ball here soon. Okay, you got any eligibility left? No, hold on. Bob? You don't need me. <laughs> so now we're uh, we're thin there, but I'm hoping that we can try to get Davon back here shortly and uh, get Claire back for at least another game or two. I mean, I'd love, I'd love to see him play a little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, try to get him back too. Just shows you how important running backs are. Yeah, you need them. But uh, just like I said in the first half, I, I thought our kids played hard. Um, they did the did the best they possibly could do, and then uh, we got worn down. And like I said to our kids in there, you know, with the young kids in particular, 
Just look across the side, look across the defense and offensive line. That's what we need to look at. And I said it before the game, um, this offensive line that we just played is what I want to look like when it's all said and done. I think this offensive line is exactly wired right for the American Conference. They are big, they are strong, and they are tough. And um, that's where we want to be. That's how it all sounded Saturday in Kalamazoo as Bowling Green fell to Western Michigan 49-10. Time now to welcome in my broadcast partner John Gibson to talk BG football as the Falcons get set to take on the Akron Zips. And Gibby, last week the Falcons went up to Kalamazoo and Played pretty well for a quarter and a half or so, but uh, after that, things got away from them in a 49-10 loss, and it was one of those games where it was apparent that up front, Western Michigan was just better. That, that seemed to be the real story of the game. Without a doubt, Western Michigan is a team that was slated to perform well to compete for the Mac West Championship, and they, they are poised to do just that. October is without a doubt the month that separates the, the contenders from the pretenders, and they went out and did, took care of business the way that they're supposed to. Uh, right now, Bowling Green just does not have the horses in the stable to be able to run with that Western Michigan team. It's coming, and, and we saw some flashes of good of really good football but just not consistent enough which is a mark of a youthful team also uh it, it's the mark of a team that just doesn't have the depth but as i said for a while bg played pretty well and hung in there what were some of the things that you saw that maybe were pluses from that game saturday well, I think when you look at the statistics, I mean, we ran for over 100 yards. Uh, there were some very good runs from Bryson Denley, uh, some some very good runs from uh, from uh, the quarterback, uh, Grant Loy. There were a lot of – I mean, Quentin, Quentin Morris was definitely a bright spot. Uh, there were a lot of bright spots. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, the, I am really amazed at the continued development of Jordan Anderson. I feel like he is a player that is, he's a guy that has announced himself kind of like in a way that Boo Boo Gates did a few uh, years ago, where all of a sudden, you know, when this kid shows up, he's going to be a player as he grows up. And that's kind of how Jordan Anderson has done. You know, there were a lot of things that, you know, I saw that I liked, of course, Brandon Purse with, you know, 14 total tackles. You, you, you like to see that even though it's coming from a senior. I think you saw guys step up and make plays. You'd like to see Jawan Hudson. There were things that you saw that were good. And that's the thing is that it's not one of those situations where it's just horrible. But I think like Coach said, when you look at what ha you look at that that's that sequence right at the end of the first half when Bowling Green is trying to go score they wind up uh they wind up punting and Western Michigan takes off and scores and that's pretty much the game right there that that was the game right there that was kind of game set match and, and it's tough and I I you know I understood exactly what coach Leffler was saying was you know he he was coaching the team that he wants to be not the co team that he actually has and that's a very difficult lesson to learn and I commend him for being man enough to stand up and say that yeah, and uh, we talked about it Monday on the coaches' show. I think you you would have to struggle in that as a head coach because we all want to think that your team is capable of doing anything at any given time, and to surrender to it sometimes is seen as accepting losing, and it's not necessarily that way, and you don't want your team to think we're not capable of doing things, but at the same time, you got to manage what you have, and 
coach has made it clear he felt he made a mistake there. But the difference coming into this week now, Gibby, is Bowling Green is taking on a team in which they are favored in the game. And for the first time this season, uh, they come in with a favorite role against Akron. And that sort of changes the mentality, doesn't it? Um, I, you know, I don't think I don't think as a player I ever paid attention to a betting line. You know, you never really pay attention to the betting line as a player, but you you're looking at the film and you're saying, okay, here's a team that we can beat, right? Yeah. Here's a, here's a team that we can beat. I mean, you look at this Akron team; their leading rusher has run for 157 yards. You know, this is right. not a team that is dynamic on offense. This is not a team that, you know, is stopping a whole lot of people on defense. This is not a team that's poised to, you know, compete in the Mid-American Conference. They're only averaging about 10 points a game, uh, and they're giving up about 35 points a game. They're actually, you know, so at, at that point you're saying, hey, this is not a team that is – this is a team on our schedule that we should be able to go out here and win against. And that's not something we've been able to say a lot. So, you know, this team is kind of in the same position as we are. We actually, we're talking about a team that is uh, rebuilding. They're having to, you know, they're trying to put more scholar, trying to put more scholarship kids in the program, rebuild the, rebuilding the image of a newer coach. This is it's pretty much the same place. So this is kind of like, you know, uh, this is going to be your fight to stay out of the bottom of the Mac East. Yeah, and you know, a different mindset comes with not necessarily a, a favorite on the, on the betting line, which I understand what you're saying, but both of these teams I think are in a different position than they've been all year except for Bowling Green the Morgan State game, which almost doesn't even count, but they both come into this game thinking we could get a win, and that changes things because Bowling Green's been such a decided underdog in every game they've played in Akron the same way. So coming into this week as a player, I guess it can go one of two ways. It either refines your focus, makes you steeled even more to make sure you're on your game, or you can figure, hey, I don't have to be as focused because this team is more on our level, and I guess we're going to find out how it turns out. Right, and you you hope that this would take you – this is one of those situations where te- your team says, hey – this is our chance to go out here and win and feel good about ourselves and, you know, be able to go out and party after the game without any kind of guilt. But at the same time, Akron has to be looking at us and saying, hey, this Bowling Green team isn't a world beater. We should be able to get a victory off of this team. And they are looking at a situation where they don't necessarily have very many winnable games on on their schedule either. I mean, they've got you know, Miami, Eastern, Michigan, and Ohio left on their schedule. They don't have a lot of winnable games on their schedule either. So if they don't win this week, they're looking at an 0-12 season. With that said, Gibby, there's the other subplot of this game in that both teams now have played eight games, which means four games remaining. That's the magic number for the red shirt availability. Now a player can play up to four games and still redshirt the next season. So for Bowling Green, I don't know that we know a lot of the names that we might necessarily see that we have not seen, but it adds a wrinkle to preparation this week. Well, yeah, I think that when you get certain kids to come in and you want to redshirt them because you want to have them around the program for five years, because if if we're being honest with the difference between a a Mac school recruit and maybe a Power 5 school recruit, is that most Power 5 school recruits come in ready to plug and play. Whereas a a group of five school recruit, oftentimes 
many of those kids are going to take a year to two years to develop to be ready to play. And so what winds up happening is you you have these kids who are, are coming in and they've never some of them have never lifted weights before. So now they've got, you know, eight to 12 weeks of a college lifting program and you get a chance to put them out there on the field, let them see how they stack up, let them get a feel for what the game is, let them see, let, and then let the coaching staff see, well, who are my gamers? Who are my guys who are going to step up to the task? Who's better than what I think they are? I mean, at this point in Bowling Green, you have nothing to lose at all. You have nothing to lose. So let some of these guys get out there and give them a chance. I remember when I was a freshman and I redshirted, we had the rule where if you played one game, you lost a redshirt year. And for me, it, you know, that was a tough, that was a really tough year because you knew you had no chance to help, even in situations where you know you can help. If you're back and it's third and one, and you know I could have ran over that defensive back to get the first down, but you can't play because you're a redshirt. That's not the best feeling in the world. This gives the kids a chance to get out there, get a little taste of college football without it actually hurting them as far as their eligibility is concerned. And in situations like what Bowling Green is going through right now where there's a lack of depth, you don't really hurt the team. There's plenty of kids over the course of college football that was in a very similar situation. Lack of depth forced a team to rip off a red shirt. I mean, honestly, my junior year, that's kind of what happened to Josh Harris. Josh Harris had to play because the running back room was beat down. You know, I was the only healthy running back, and I'll never forget, Josh stepped in for me and ran for 100 yards as a running back his true freshman year because there was nobody else after I got hurt. So now coming into this game, it, it's an interesting conundrum for both coaching staffs because you prepare for what you know, but there are really truly some unknowns. I got a feeling that for one or both of these teams, Somebody who has not yet played is going to make an impact, and that is a interesting, I think, wrinkle to this game. Well, yeah, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a situation where somebody's going to make an impact, good and or bad. I think that you're going to see, you know, some of those defensive backs that we saw playing this – some of the defensive backs we saw playing towards the end of last year or last week for Bowling Green, you know, you may see them have to come up and make a really big play. That may be something that you have to see. That You have to wonder, is this kid going to know the coverages? These are the things that we have to worry about now. And it's – so it's going to – it is going to add a different wrinkle to the game. I think that, you know, you look at a guy like, like David Wilson – you know, is he, you know, with more extended time, is he a kid that's going to be able to continue to play at the high level that he played at last week? Or is he going to have a brain cramp like freshmen typically do? It, it, it adds a level of intrigue that I don't know that we've seen. And so you have to wonder how many of these kids are going to touch the field. You know, I, I remember, you know, as a redshirt freshman, you know, going in and it was me and a guy named Mike Bodner. He was an, he was one of my guards. And I never forget, we scored a touchdown in a drive, you know, in the first quarter of a game. And it's me and Mike Bodner on the field. And I came off and I talked to, you know, former BG captain Brian Sherman, who's the old line coach. Did you ever think you would score a touchdown this year with me and Mike Bodner on the field? He's like, not in my wildest dreams. And th <laughs> this is a chance. It's a bonding moment. For these coaches, because you get to see how these guys are going to perform under pressure and it make it make them better coaches because they can now direct them based off of real live game action when the lights are on. I, I love the idea of it. I'm, the intrigue of it as an announcer is great, but I, I love it more for the kids because it gives them an opportunity instead of saying, hey, you've got we always say you got 48 games. Now you've got 52. You got 52 games to get it right. And, and anything that's for the kids, the players, I'm always for it. 
Yeah, I think it's a rule that's been very well received. I think maybe it'll get tweaked that maybe seniors can't do it or something like that in in the future. But I think it's been great. And right now for Bowling Green and really for Akron, as we've heard some of their uh, people talking about where they are, where they're with their program, this is do or die time for some of the older guys. Uh, You know, let's face it, there are probably – some guys this week that are going to be supplanted for good. I mean, and that that's just the way it is. These programs have been struggling. And when you are part of the long-term, I guess, problem, you've been here through all the bad results and you're not producing, we could see some guys have their senior years end prematurely, this kind of thing. So it, it could be rather a tumultuous week here. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're really going to see some things in the next few weeks because, you know, there are some guys that could potentially lose some reps to some freshmen that aren't going to be happy about it. There's going to be some guys, there's going to be some guys that are that could be defecting. Some guys are going to run to the transfer portal. It's 2019. That happens. I think, you know, but I think as a coaching staff on both staffs, you have to look at it and say, hey, we haven't won with you. And so let's try to win without you. And that's a very valid thing, especially for those kids within the Bowling Green program that Coach Leffler continuously talks about who have not bought into the program yet. Those kids are the ones that are really – the kids that have bought in aren't necessarily going to be the ones we're looking at. But the ones that have not bought into the program, those are going to be the ones where you're going to say, hey, you know what? I may – you know, these are the ones – hey, we may have to replace this kid. And that's just simply that's that's the that's the mathematics of the game right now. That's where the game is. And again, it's one of those things where it's, you know, just like you can go into the transfer portal and find another kid or find another school. We can actually go to the back of the roster now and find another kid that, you know, is going to at least benefit from this time as opposed to just waste the time because you're not developing because it's all about development, right? At this level, it's all about development. And so if you get a, if you got an 18 year old that is is a C player and, and you can get into a C plus in four games, well, I think that's better than taking a, a senior who doesn't want to do what is asked of a division one college football player. That's already, that's a C plus player and trying to get him to a B minus. I, I think personally that it makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch just exactly what happens with all of that moving forward. And with that said, it's also the final Saturday game of the year and the Falcons and Zips will kick it off at two o'clock. Gibby, always appreciate your thoughts and we'll see you at the Doit on Saturday. Can't wait to get to the Doit. It's always a sunny day, even when the sun isn't shining. We're joined now on the Ziggy cast by Steve French, the longtime voice of the Zips, and he's been through many a tough season with the Zips, but this one is shaping up to be one of the worst, frankly, Steve, uh, no wins yet. Uh, I'm sure that nobody expected a undefeated season or a great season or anything like that, but I don't know that anybody would have booked 0-7 either. Uh, How high is the frustration level right now? No, well, I mean, you could imagine, um, you know, that it's it's high, uh, and it was a very poor performance last uh, last week. It was a step back, pretty much in every area, uh, you know, at, at Northern Illinois. And you know, Todd, you've done this for a while too. I mean, uh, you got Northern Illinois and their horrible little 
little booth and it's pouring down rain and it's blowing into the booth and it's blowing on your windows and I end up calling the game off the television in there and, uh, you know, you're losing, you know, 49 to nothing. And at that point, you kind of question your existence. But, you know, you get over it and move on. And uh, the, uh, the Zips have, you know, they have, they've, they've got uh, they got four more yet. Yeah. Uh, so uh, um, uh, thanks for calling us 0-7, though. Right. That I was say, I, I wanted to correct that uh, it's actually 0-8. Yeah, but, but uh, you know, I, I've, uh, and no one ever just introduces me as voice of the Zips. It's either a veteran or a long time. So. Right. Uh, long enough ago that I broadcast the first game in Division One history between two teams that were zero and ten. Did you know that? Oh yeah, that was that Akron was in the uh, that was in uh, that was in the uh, the early nineties. The last game uh, that Jerry Faust uh, had at Akron at the Rubber Bowl, we took on Tom Lichtenberg at Ohio University. Oh yeah, and uh, both teams were zero and ten. Uh, the Zips won that day, and then, you know, early in this decade, let's face it, when we started rebuilding again, Akron won one game each three years in a row. So um, I'm a veteran of having to go through this. Uh, the last time that they went through the three years and three wins, on the other side we came out with a division championship and two bowl games. Um, but, uh, man, rebuilding – uh, restarting, whatever you want to call it, it's it's definitely not a lot of fun. And Tom Arth is the man who's been tasked with the rebuild and a little bit unique that they go to a Division three coach, although that's uh, been done in the MAC recently with some pretty good success, and he's a Northeast Ohio guy. Talk about Coach Arth and his idea of rebuilding this program. What's he looking to do as far as their MO and their identity moving forward? Right. Well, uh, keep in mind uh, that there was a step in between. He went from Division Three to FCS to FBS. So there was another uh, step in there with uh, Chattanooga and the Southern Conference before he got here. True, yeah. But uh, he is a Northeast Ohio guy. He played at St. Ignatius in Cleveland, and he went to John Carroll, uh, and he was a quarterback, and he uh, was a free agent in the NFL and was the backup, the perfect backup for three years to Peyton Manning. In other words, he never got into game. Right. Uh, but he learned a lot, started his coaching career, went back to John Carroll, and uh, was very successful there, including being, I think, the only team or one of two in the last 12 or 13 years to beat Mountain Union during the regular season. Uh, went from there to Chattanooga, where they went 3-9, and nine, and then 6-5 and five his second year. So he comes back to Northeast Ohio. Uh, most of his staff has been with him since he was at John Carroll, and they are all from this area. And the plan is um, to recruit Northeast Ohio first and expand out from there. Uh, most every coaching staff um, has a, a southern territory, if you will. And for the Zips, where it used to be Florida, now it's Georgia, because in Chattanooga they heavily recruited the state of Georgia. Of course, there's always Western PA. Uh, and, of course, when you're also rebuilding and you look at where your biggest holes are, you have to go JUCO sometimes. Acro doesn't have a lot of those. I think they have four. Um, but they have a, a 10 walk-ons in the program, uh, nine of whom are from Northeast Ohio, uh, all of whom are from playoff-level teams or championship-level teams. And the other, the 10th walk-on, is Tank McClendon, uh, who played at Lima. Uh, yeah. And is a uh, is a defensive lineman, but 
Um, you know, the scholarship numbers, Acre did not have a tremendous amount of people leave, not nearly as many as I thought they would. But they're, at the end of this coming, uh, this coming cycle, they'll still be about eight or nine short on 85 scholarships. But uh, a lot of the younger players, you know, the ones that have played have looked pretty good. And, of course, with four games to go, a number of players who have not played at all, I expect to see on the field in those final four games starting this Saturday. Uh, They're a very determined group, and I'll tell you, the attitude has been way better than I thought it would be, having gone what we've gone through at this point in the season. Yeah, and that's going to be an interesting angle this Saturday because a lot of what you just spoke about with Akron is the same thing that's going on with the Falcons, including – these last four games, we're going to see some guys that have yet to have been on the field. So it's kind of an unknown, isn't it, what the impact will be? Well, absolutely. And, of course, uh, Bowling Green's uh, quarterback – or quarterback. Bowling Green's coach is from right over here. Uh, yeah. went, uh, went to Barberton. Um, uh, yes, and uh, I remember going back to the first game of the year, Todd, when honestly – we really didn't know. I didn't know who was going to play at a lot of positions. And we go to Illinois, and Lovey Smith is under such pressure. They didn't put out a depth chart at all before the first game. Wow. Uh, now we're starting over again with the Falcons and the Zips having this four games, meaning the players who haven't played that we're going to can, can play four games are still red shirts. So I'm going to keep my flip card handy with me this week because oh, yeah. goodness knows. Who's going to end up having an impact on this game? You're right. It could be somebody we haven't seen all season long. Well, let's talk about what the Zips have done to this point. Even though they are winless, uh, there's got to be little pockets of success. Uh, I know that the, the defense has been maybe the stronger unit. Give us a, sort of a breakdown of uh, what maybe has been a bright spot. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, the defense, uh, the defense has, has gotten better. Uh, the defensive line, which has a couple of freshmen and a couple of JUCOs mixed in now that weren't there before, is playing much better. Um, the Zipso, you know, and again, this is a depth thing. Honestly, Acra's basically playing with two safeties, and one of them, Sean Featherstone, broke his leg uh, this last week against Northern, so I'm not even sure uh, what's going what's gonna to happen there. But the defense has played uh, pretty well. When you look at the numbers and say, how can that be? Well, uh, you know, Kent State scored two touchdowns uh, against the Zips. Buffalo's offense scored one, and their defense scored two. And then Northern Illinois eventually caved the Zips in, scored another two defensive touchdowns, and the offense was just awful and put them, the defense in numerous bad spots throughout the game. So very definitely on that side of the ball there has uh, – there's been improvement. Special teams, kick coverage, kick return has been pretty good really since the beginning. Obviously, it's been uh, uh, the offense, which has yet to score 100 points all year long, has been the real issue. And let's talk about that offense. Cato Nelson, the quarterback, was suspended the last two games. He'll be back for this game is what we're hearing anyway. And you're right, some of the numbers are startlingly bad. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Their average two yards a rush. Uh, the the point production is a meager. What is exactly holding the offense back? If you could pinpoint an area or two. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of all those numbers. By the yeah, way, I appreciate yeah. that. 
Um, uh, look, it all begins and ends with the offensive line. I mean, really. I, I, and that that's true from peewees to the NFL. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, the rushing numbers have picked up a little bit. I know it doesn't look like it, but, of course, in college they put the sack numbers in there. And when you're behind, you're always throwing the football and teams are always coming after your quarterback at blitzing you, stuff like that. But the running game has been uh, terrible. Uh, Cato has thrown it pretty well. Yeah, the, you know, he was going to be the quarterback. I mean, he has done nothing but draw praise from Coach Arth and all the coaches on his leadership, and then he gets suspended for two games. Mm. And there's the oddest suspension, uh, Todd, I've ever seen, and that he continues to practice and actually made the trip uh, to Northern Illinois this last Saturday and is, like, encouraging people on the sidelines and, and helping out with the coaching and all that stuff. And uh, young Zach Gibson, a freshman who looked pretty good, really his first two times, um, their their plan is to redshirt him, so he's played in three games, which would leave him only one more. And he had just never, being from Georgia, he had just never played in conditions like we saw this last Saturday. And, and uh, you know, it was it was, it was not good. Uh, obviously, the numbers are incredible. The Zips did not score a touchdown in the month of October. And uh, uh, they got to uphold their end of the bargain at some point, so... I would anticipate even on the offensive line, we're going to see some of these freshmen possibly play as early as Saturday. I don't know that for sure, but uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, Cato throws it pretty well. He was the leading rusher. He might still be. I haven't looked at the stats, but it has been a real, a real struggle on the offensive side of the ball. Steve, before we let you go, as you have talked with the, the Zips folks and as you look at it, are there any areas you think that maybe in this Bowling Green game with the team really on similar footing where the Zips may have an advantage, whether it's one unit over the other or a certain phase of the game, anything stand out to you there? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know, again, as you, you know, you, you've seen them. I mean, uh, Bowling Green has struggled and then had that one incredible result. And I remember your game with Toledo ended uh, about the time that ours started that day. And I'm looking at that score. I'm like, that is that even, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of those you think they may have gotten wrong. No offense. No, I, yeah, I understand. Uh, but, but, you know, based on where BG was and where Toledo was coming off the two wins, uh, and so that's kind of the outlier. But I know it's a great victory. Good grief. And uh, where does Akron have an advantage? Uh, you know, I don't think they really have an advantage, but I would anticipate that both teams might struggle to move the football. Um, and so it could come down to come down to something like that. It could come down to a special team thing. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just know that, you know, well, this is a week the Zips think, hey, we can win. And I point out, you know, well, guess what? Bowling Green is thinking the same thing. Yeah. So in some ways, uh, for teams who are not doing the postseason or in mega rebuilding, it's kind of an intriguing matchup from that standpoint. Uh, and then again, mix all the, the the people in the game that we haven't seen before, possibly, and could someone who's inexperienced blow an assignment, you know, or or step up and do something we haven't seen all year? I don't know, but uh, I'm looking forward to being there because uh, I love football still. 
and uh, and I and I love seeing me some Todd Walker in person too. So that's wow. a highlight for me right there. That is a great way to end it, Steve. We will see you on Saturday <laughs> as the Zips right. come to town. Appreciate you stopping All by. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Again, thanks to Steve French and my broadcast partner, John Gibson, for joining me on this edition of the Ziggy Cast. BGSU football will host Akron Saturday afternoon. We'll be on the air at 1 o'clock with our Medical Mutual pregame show. Next week on the Ziggy Cast, we will have hockey coach Ty Agner and men's basketball coach Michael Huger. The basketball team will tip off the season next week. So we'll have all of that on the Ziggy Cast next week. Until then, this is Todd Walker saying hi, Ziggy Zumba. Thanks for listening to the BGSU Ziggy Cast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation.